Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. I'm Deborah, And I'm Eric. And today we're going to be talking about Boogie by the Bay, as well as other events in general. We just came off of a great weekend here in San Francisco, and we're going to be talking about our experiences, what we thought went well, what we thought maybe didn't go as well, and what events in general can learn from this event. And a little later in the show, we're going to have Mr. Andy Bowman, co-event director of Boogie by the Bay, on the show to ask him a few questions about the event. Yes. What's your first takeaway about Boogie by the Bay that stands out for you? For me, when I think of Boogie by the Bay, and I I guess because I'm in Silicon Valley, I think of it this way. To me, Boogie by the Bay is the apple of dance events. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not trying to do any of the flashbang gizmos, latest features necessarily. It gives you a very high quality, consistent experience. They have high quality pros. I mean, everybody who's everybody is there. Um, Mm -hmm. They give you an event that's really well run. Things are on time. Um, You know, workshops are, are really high quality. It's just high quality across the board, and you get a lot of value for your money. I mean, all the workshops are included with your pass. They give you the Saturday night dinner, the Sunday afternoon coffee break, um, top DJs. You know, social dancing starts before midnight. Um, It's just a really high quality event across the board on all elements. And what's really interesting, too, um, because I was talking to people about this event across the weekend, in part for preparation for this this uh, episode and people are really impressed that like this event still manages to get all the top pros. Mm-hmm. Whereas other events seem to be getting like samples of the top pros. Um, so Chini came to boogie this year and after I guilted her about not coming last year, I guess she came this year <laughs> and then we were sitting there Friday night watching the strictly and she turned to me at one point and she was like, everyone is here. Like all of the top pros are here. And I I don't think a lot of events these days manage to get as many of the top pros all in one place. So for me, it's all top quality. Yeah, that is quality. But I think part of that is because um, really good job about uh, taking care of their professionals Mm -hmm. and make it a really great work environment. Um, And they're they're. I feel like Boogie by the Bay's brand is like you said, high quality, but high quality for everything, like high quality workshops, high quality DJs, high quality judging, um, high quality hotel. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love the food that the buffet that they offer on, it's Saturday night, right? When they do the buffet? Yeah. Yeah, I love that the buffet that they offer on Saturday night. Check-in is a breeze for competitions and, uh, you know, just getting your wristband. Social dancing goes till all wee hours of the morning. I stayed up till 6 a.m. Friday night and Saturday night mm-hmm. um, and danced a lot. And when I love that they did uh, the Blues Room, Charlotte's music was fantastic on Friday and Saturday. It was a nice little change yeah. to be able to go to another room. I would just wish they would change the name of that room because I feel calling it a Blues Room kind of deters people from coming into the room because it's not just blues music that Charlotte plays. Hmm. 
She plays a variety of just good music. Blues happens to be one of them. She plays soul and she plays jazz. So I think a different name, like maybe the inspiration room or the soul room mm-hmm. would be a better way to advertise that room. What do you think? Right. Yeah, well, I know Boogie um, and uh, I should clarify that I was on the Boogie Committee, I guess, gosh, it was several years ago now, like three, four years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that they debated what to do with that side room. And for a while, it was the the rhythm Lindy. and blues room. Well, yeah, originally they had Lindy. You're right. They had Lindy at the event many years ago. And then when they stopped uh, having Lindy at the event, it was the, I believe it was the rhythm and blues room. Um, and so, which is, I think, more accurate to what you're saying the music was, right? Like a little more of the a mix of soul and blues and, and other genres. Yeah, maybe um, they should call it R&B and soul, but just, I, if you just call it the blues room, um, <clears throat> people get deterred. And, and I, I, I'm not sure why they get deterred because blues music is great. Um, yes. But I guess we're in, we're, we're in a time right now where we're not, ex- they're not exposed to a lot of blues music. And when they are exposed to blues music, they're not exposed to blues music that really inspires. Yeah, I I think it's a, I mean, this is a whole other conversation on music, um, which we will be having um, at some point. But uh, I agree. I think a lot of people either aren't familiar with it. I think some people think it's limiting. So they'd rather be in a room where there's a wider diversity of music. Um, And so to your point, maybe calling it, something else that isn't as narrow might be more appealing. Um, yeah, I think people just think the the party's in the main room. And I don't think people realize that like all the all of you and your peers were in the other room getting it on, right. you know, um, which probably would have drawn a lot of people. I know other events, what's the event I went to where they did like a, a is it Spotlight New Year's? And they did a, a, they did a blues contest in the, in the blues room and like the smaller ballroom and everybody right. went out for it. So there are ways to draw people into that other room. Um, oh, Capital did that. Did they? I yeah, wasn't I at think- Capital this year. So it was another event I went to that, that did that. I, I think Capital did that hmm. or something like that um, where they had a blues competition uh, in another room. Yeah. I've been to uh, Spotlight. But yeah. Boogie's definitely, I'm going to say, you know, top five. Yeah, for uh, me, it has been, um, it's consistently been my favorite event. And the, the other thing about it, too, and um, having gone to Swingtacular just two months ago in the very same hotel in the same ballroom, mm-hmm. and they're very different events. Um, yeah. You know, uh, both have great staff and, and run great events. Um Boogie, again, to me, is is really top-notch in terms of quality, keeping things on time, quality of pros, dancers, DJs, workshops, everything. Um, but also, one of the things I loved is that part of the Boogie brand is that it's very... Um, I'm trying to think of the word. Because if I don't want to say simple, because simple makes it sound like it doesn't offer a classy. lot. But yeah, it's classy. It's elegant. It's mm-hmm. um, There isn't a lot of flash and bang um, but in a good way. So you walk into this ballroom that's huge, you know, over a thousand people, one of right. the biggest floors out there. Right. And yet it doesn't feel overwhelming. Um, it feels pretty chill. Like, I think it's a good reflection of the Bay Area culture where we're just like, yeah, just come and have a good time. Don't worry about it. Um, 
And uh, I remember talking to Cheney about that, where I was like, hey, you know, we were just here for Swingtacular. Does this feel different? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was, I, I said, well, what's the difference? And that was the word that came out of her mouth. And she was like, it's just chill. Like you walk mm-hmm. in and it's just, you know, they, they have a simple backdrop. They don't do the big high production stuff, but the ballroom's just chill. Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, what separates events from each other is like, what is their brand? Right. And, and Boogie's brand is high quality, classy event. It doesn't need a gimmick or, uh, you know, a theme night or anything like that. It's high quality ups, uh, great um, professionals, you know, that hang out on our social, good music, food, nice hotel, mm-hmm. um, no drama. It's easy to check in. Um, also, I feel like this, the volunteer staff at Boogie is very friendly and very, um, they remember everybody's name. They're happy to see everybody. Uh, you know, like every time I go up to the desk, like, hey, how are you? Like, they're always like in a good mood, like not like, you know, mad to be there. They enjoy right. what they're doing. Right. And they're excited for the weekend to start. Um and I also feel like I always say e- events reflect the personality of the event directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andy and Beth happen to be chill yes. people, mm-hmm. right? So, which is why the event is so chill, I think. Yes. Right? So to your, your point earlier about uh, the event being good to the staff, because we talked about this in our last episode about professionalism, um, I'm curious, what do they do that makes it a positive experience for you as a staff member? Well, they're really organized. That's one thing that I, that I really enjoy. They're really organized. Um, mm-hmm. The email comes out, you know, telling you that you're hired for the event and then, you know, choose what they do at Boogie is that, you know, there's, there's so many workshop times and basically you put all the workshop times in order of, you know, most, the one that you want the most and then, the one that you want uh, the least. And then they put the, they lottery it out and then they pull your name out of a hat and then you get an email, you know, telling you, you know, what time your workshops are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I ended up getting the Thursday night workshop. I always liked the Thursday night workshop and I've had it now for the last, I don't know, maybe three or more, four years. Uh, I'm wondering why people don't want the Thursday night workshop. Like I love starting off the weekend on a really good, positive, you know, note for everyone excited about the event and just giving them really good, uh, you know, techniques for their basics so they could have great um, social dancing. Uh, so I love getting the Thursday night workshop. Then I had the Friday uh, all-star workshop, which was at like, I think 4 PM, which, you know, was great. So that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy the, the quick response time back and forth, you know, for hiring and all that stuff. But the other thing is, is I, you know, I sent a message to Andy and I said, Hey, listen, I'm coming in um, early on Thursday, like early, earlier before check-in is allowed. I said, would you be able to get me an early check-in so I can practice um, with PJ and right away, Mm -hmm. boom, done. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. So really accommodating, you know, not like, well, we can't blah, blah, blah. They, they do their best to try and, make it for a good experience for you as a professional um, 
at Boogie. And then also there's like, you know, Kim Sifter, who's always there. She's like the floor mom and helping, you know, everybody. And I'll, I'll go up to Kim and I'm like, Kim, I need some snacks, you know, while we're judging. And she's like, coming right up and she'll go to the back and she'll bring us, you know, red vines. And, and, and Beth will always have the high chews, which are like high quality starburst, which I love. It's the little things, you know what I mean? And, you know, uh, Kim always knows that I, I, I like a pen to, to judge and she'll come out with all the pencils and then I'll, I'll give her the look and she goes, Oh, right. You need a pen. And she'll go and she'll bring me, you know, a pen um, yeah. to judge. So it's just like the small things um, that I like about Boogie. They pay attention to detail. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they take a criticism, you know, constructive criticism very well when you suggest to them, Hey, maybe you should try this. And, you know, like we talked about in, in our last, you know, um, podcast, if you give good constructive criticism, meaning like it would, I would really love it if this would happen as opposed to, you know, attacking the event um, director. They're really, you know, they listen. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah. And Boogie has been doing the, their post-event evaluation. Um, they've been doing that for years, you know, and they really do. Uh, they're really thoughtful about how they put the survey together. They do that with the help of Warren Pino and his Q&A research. Right. Um, yep. and, and then they also really sit with the results. Like they get those results and they sit and they say, okay, what, what do we take from this? You know, it's not just uh, something they send out and then, okay, cool. We got some feedback. They really do sift through that in terms of deciding everything from staff to, you know, music to scheduling everything. It's, it's really impressive how they listen to that feedback. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. It, you know, I've been going to Boogie now since, oh my God. <laughs> uh, I think it's 1997. Um, and, and I've seen the progression of Boogie. And, and even when I went in 1997, it was, it was amazing then. Um, and it's obviously gotten larger and, and more popular, but it was, I, I don't remember a Boogie that was never well attended, honestly. Yeah, they uh, they've always been well attended. I think they hit their peak before. I believe their peak was at something like fifteen hundred, and that was probably in the mid two thousands. And right. when the recession hit, and a lot of events shrank, Boogie took sure. a small hit, but they stabilized. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been at about twelve hundred since. So it's it's always been a big event. Um, yeah, I mean, this This is my, I think this was my 14th year going. Um, and ever since my first event, I'm like, I will always go back to this event. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's always in my calendar um, every year. So, and, what, and I know that's true for a lot of people. Right. And I think what the reason why um, they really haven't lost many spectators, professionals, blah, blah, all that stuff is because they stay consistent. Yes. They're very consistent with their brand. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, you know, flop back and forth. And um, and people need consistency because when you have consistency, that means that it can be trusted. Right. Right. And trust is important when you're running an event. So I think that's part of their uh, the reason why they're so successful. I think, too, one of the reasons they're successful is they aren't, chasing after a particular audience 
Um, I know I, I kind of pushed back on this when um, I was helping them with their communications where I was like, okay, who are you after? And they're like, well, everyone. And I'm like, well, you can't be (laughs) for everyone, right? Like from a marketing perspective, at the same time, they, they aren't, you know, trying to appeal to young competitors or they aren't trying to appeal to internationals or, you know, like they don't, they're not focused on a particular segment. They just try to offer a good place for everyone to come and mingle. And so, yeah, it's very inclusive. And unlike other events that I've been to that are skewed towards competitors or towards a younger audience, this really does have a diversity of people attending um, geographically, demographically, you know, skill level, whether you're a competitor or not. Um, Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Like to go into the workshops and there's just like a, full mix of Act. every yeah yeah it's it's crazy and they have and that great, great. Program too yes yeah they really do a great job with their juniors the next generational um uh jack and jill is a great idea um you know to just highlight and showcase the the young dancers who are coming up is f- so much fun sure. to watch so yeah i definitely think that's an added bonus one thing too that I'll say I really like about this event, and it was particularly notable to me this weekend, uh, is how they run contests. Um, I don't enjoy as a competitor being herded off the floor into some like holding pen until everybody arrives, um, <laughs> like having to line up. Um, and nope. yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. The, what do they call it? Marshalling. I feel like it should be called herding. Um, <laughs> we should all move as we go back and wait. Right. Um, yeah, I don't enjoy having to line up uh, because I'd rather just either be sitting and like, you know, either walking, dancing or prepping or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And at this event, they don't do that. They call you out and you're either in the ballroom or you're not. And you know what? If you're not, we're not going to wait for you. And I think so many events run late because they're like, well, we're waiting for so-and-so. So so we're just going to hang out and kill some time. And at this event, they call you once, twice, thrice, next. Who's alternate? And that happened in the champions division this year because somebody wasn't in the ballroom, um, which is a shame. But, But I think, one, it's great for keeping things on time. And two... Um, this kind of gets back to what we were talking about last week about being professional, um, right. be in the ballroom. Like we're not going to tolerate people who are holding us up, you know, who aren't there on time. It sets a lower bar for, for what we expect in this community. Um, when we do that and instead Boogie's like, no, you're either here or you're not. And if you want to compete, yeah, we will be here. We have, yeah. we have everything in the schedule laid out for you. Like, you know, exactly when the contest is starting. So mm-hmm. That's it. You know, you're either here or you're not. And I, that said, they're like, um, I know somebody who missed the first heat and they were, they will put you in the second heat, right? If there is one. But if it's like finals, they're going to, um, they're going to call the alternate. Right. And I think that's, that's how it should be. I don't think we should tolerate lateness in our competitions. I agree with that. It also doesn't make people, you know, if, the, if people know that they're going to wait, then they take advantage. Right. You should just be in the ballroom. Yeah. 
And along with that professionalism and respect, um, and I always tell my students from Mission City Swing, like when you go to this event, do not wear jeans and sneakers. Like that may be tolerated at other smaller, more casual events. This is Boogie by the Bay and they expect that you will be respectful. Um, It doesn't mean you have to like dress to the nines, but you should dress in a way that demonstrates that you respect what's happening here. They respect the judges, they respect the 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 format that you're in except we did have uh, a few divisions where there were some people wearing shorts and uh i think most (laughs) of them were were younger um this is also why it's it's important that we you know i i love that we have juniors in our community I'm not sure I want juniors competing with adults. I don't mm-hmm. think it's good. Um, and if you are going to make juniors compete with adults, then they have to act like adults. And you have to abide by the rules that the adults abide by. And right. we're not going to, so you shouldn't wear shorts. And if you want me to take you seriously, you know, because when you come out in shorts, it, it like tells me like, ah, oh, you don't really care. It's like, ah, oh, it's just, you know, no big deal just a little fun, you know, bar competition. And this is Boogie by the Bay. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, see, like Boogie by the Bay is also the event where one of two things happens. As a professional, you either close out your NASD season with your uh, routine and you end on a high note, hopefully. Mm -hmm. You debut your new routine for the Open at Boogie. Right. So this this is not, you know, this isn't a joke. Right. Like shorts, please. Yeah. So I saw that a couple of times and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Come on. Also, I, I understand that you may be comfortable in shorts, but that ballroom isn't warm. Like the person is cold. Um, yeah. It, and that's actually one thing that I really like too. Uh, the ballroom, the smaller ballroom got a little hot. Um, and the workshop ballroom, the, um, one to the left of the ballroom where like the advanced all-star workshops where the master's workshops, those because it's so packed, it does get a little warm, but in general, I really appreciate that the ballroom is cool, not freezing, but cool. Um, Yeah. Because there are some ballrooms that just get that some events that just get hot and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So even just creating a, a good like physical environment to dance in. Is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Even the lighting's amazing. I love the lighting in the ballroom uh, during yeah. competition, and then the lighting in the ballroom during late night is great. Well, and I uh, that that goes hand in hand, I think, with the temperature because some events use these a lot of lighting, like they just use the the overhead like spotlight or globe lights, um, right. and those things produce a lot of heat. They sure um, do. I I like the room for Swing Diego, but there's like this heat barrier when you step off the floor and you're out of the lights. And when you step onto the floor and in the lights, there's like a significant heat gradient. Um, right. Those lights get really warm. And Boogie just uses the hotel lighting. They just use different settings of the lightings to create a nice atmosphere. Yeah, for late night. Mm-hmm. And I think on the, aren't, aren't on those, um, those like scaffolds, 
there's like these little mini spotlights. Yes. Right. That just are, they don't point up. That much heat. Yes. But they look nice. Yeah. Simple and classy. Yeah. It, I think that's the main, that's their brand. Classy. Yes. I think it's always been like that. Yes, it has. Um, and I think that other events can learn from that. I feel like a lot of events, and, and I get it, it's a very crowded marketplace of events and events that can create a unique experience tend to have a leg up, right? Because otherwise it's just another event. So if they offer something different, then that can make them more appealing. But I do feel like some event directors go a little crazy with trying to do the whole branding thing and be so unique and the themes and the, I don't know, just everything. Um, and sometimes it works in terms of like a lot of production value or a lot of thematic branding. Um, but a lot of times I'm just like, can you cut back and, and do, do a little well instead of a lot, not as well, <laughs> you know, right. I think, like Boogie is, doesn't, do a lot in the thematic stuff. Instead, they focus on making sure competitors have a good time, staff have a good time, you know, social dancers have a good time. They're just focused on let's make for the best possible experience. And if they're if they can above and beyond that, do a little extra, great. But the focus is is first and foremost on the nuts and bolts of the event, and that's why it's so high quality. I think well, some I think people we'll are like, we need more lighting, and they focus on that, and then they forget that like, oh yeah, my contests were an hour behind. Right. But Boogie has an advantage. Boogie has been around long enough to see the changes and how events are run and um, what works and, and what doesn't work. And, and now they're, they're like a staple, an icon, you know, in the community, whereas events that keep coming in and out, they have to find a niche to kind of right. stay. For sure. Right. Right. It's just like, you know, I, I feel like a grand nationals has that, their yes. niche, you know, they're also another classy event, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then the U.S. Open has their niche. These are, these are three, you know, events that have been around um, for a long time, right? And then the other events kind of filter in and out, and they have to find a way to um, stay competitive with other mm -hmm. events, but also because the market is saturated with so many events, they have to find a way to make it appealing for people to go, well, what, what makes me want to go to this event as opposed to that event? What are they offering that the other event isn't? Right. Whereas Boogie kind of offers everything. Yes. Um, I do know that Boogie grappled with that though for a while because, um, you know, other events that have been around for a while, Capitol, Phoenix, Seattle, um, mm -hmm. You know, Dallas Dance and ACC, America's Classic, both disappeared. Um, right. Chicago Classic has been struggling, although hopefully under April, things will turn around. But there have been a lot of events that have been around for a long time that have taken a hit. Right. And so while, yes, U.S. Open, Boogie um, have survived and, and even thrived, um, not mm -hmm. all events have been so successful. And Boogie struggled for a while because, you know, there there was this kind of explosion of events uh, several years ago, like a bunch of new events popping up. Right. And, you know, Andy is great. And we can talk to him more about this, about 
thinking about, okay, what, what can we do to stay relevant, you know, to stay on top, to stay competitive. Um, but the thing is that like Boogie in many ways set the model. They were the first event to do routines, strictlies and Jack and Jill's. And yes, now that's, that's like, that's a given now, right? Like every event follows that model. Um, they were the first event to use relative placement. And now everybody uses it. So Boogie has always been, um, you know, setting the the standard the for events. Yeah, setting the bar. But when everybody else is matching that bar, they struggled with like, well, do we do we change it? And their their response was no. Our our goal now is to continue to be the highest quality event we possibly can. Um, right. They and have made changes. Fun. You know, they have done innovative things in terms of how they structure their workshops or the next generational or having a blues room. Like they're, they're, they are continuing to play with things, but again, I think they've been really consistent and uh, focused on providing a high quality uh, experience at the, at the fundamental level of just competition, social dancing, you know, staff workshops, et cetera. And it's worked for them. I think the workshops because they offer intensives, they offer all stars, uh, they offer regular workshops. They offer junior workshops. So they have a variety, but of all high quality variety. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that's important. Yes, and I will. I will take a little pat on the back for helping shape their workshop schedule a few years ago in terms of doing the leveled workshops. Um, one of the things that I'm proud that we have at Boogie is a master's workshop. Yes, um, I think it's great. That was something that I was like, why, why do we have juniors workshops, but we don't have masters workshops, right? Like, why don't we have something for those people at their level, um, you know, that speaks to them and where they're at in their lives and their dancing. And, and I think the that's first, great that does that. Yeah. And we had uh, Robert do it the first year, Robert Royston, and he's continued to do it every year since. And he's fantastic with that. So I think it's great that they offer again, something for everyone. I think it's important that Bookie recognizes that the masters are important because I know that they feel that there are some events they feel like where they're not important and they give so much, like, say, to the juniors, so to speak. And, and you know, masters, without them, we wouldn't be anywhere. They're the mm-hmm. majority of our, you know, spectators and they have disposable income and they don't stick 20 people in a room. Right. You know, uh, they, they take privates, um, they compete, uh, they're very inclusive, they, they love the community. So it's important to not forget them. Yes. And I think, yeah, Boogie recognizes that, like you said, for a lot of events, yes, competitors can add a certain uh, energy level, they can make the competitions more exciting, they add in terms of competitive fees, but most of the time your your economic base are your locals um, who support the event, who come out. And a lot of yes. those locals are not young competitors. Um, nope. And especially here in the Bay Area, we have a huge spectrum we have a huge community, which is great. And I think that's been helpful for Boogie. But we have a huge mm-hmm. spectrum of of age ranges, demographics, et cetera. And, um, you know, we have everything from juniors to 
you know, people have been dancing for ages. And, right. and it's great that we have that diversity. And it is interesting to me that Swingtacular, while it was, I had a really great time there um, and had a lot of people this year, it's still growing. A lot of those mm-hmm. people who come to Boogie were not at Swingtacular. It's a different right. demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's great that Boogie is an event that does appeal to that wider swath of people here at the Bay Area. And I think it does draw people of different demographics from other areas because they won't feel like they're the only one of their right. age range. Mm-hmm. And I know I that's totally. something that I've, I've talked to other people about where they, they come and they're like, yeah, dancing's great, but I like, I don't, none of my peers are here. I don't know who I'm going to hang out with or, you know, it, it, it creates a, an almost an isolating feeling for them. And I think Boogie is great at having such a wide variety that everybody can come and find their people, whoever that is. Right. But I own a table at uh, Boogie. I've owned a table since um, 1997. And mm-hmm. my whole table was Masters. Yeah. My whole table was Masters. Um, and, I, and I, when I offer my table, I send it out to all Masters first. They get mm-hmm. first pick. And I have front row center table. They get first pick. And then whoever's left, then, you know, we can uh, sit them um, at the table. Yeah. And it sells out quick. Yeah, I'm sure. Masters I'm, are important. I'm the old guy at my own dance. So right. <laughs> my people are juniors. Well, they're not juniors, but they might as well be. Um, yeah. Uh, things that I think Boogie could improve upon. Um, mm-hmm. Because while I had a great time and a great experience, and I loved, I love like, um, you know, we talked about Ruby's music. Um, for social dancing, having her and Lindo together is a great combination. Like the DJs sure. are just spot on. Um, sure. My my two gripes, and they're very very small gripes. One is the schedule, and I don't mean the schedule in terms of how the event is scheduled because I like the schedule and I love that everything's on time. Right. But literally the physical schedule, <laughs> like the visual schedule. I don't know if you've seen their like it's too color um, coordinated for you. The, it's not the color coordinated. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. I just would like something a little more visually appealing. Um, but particularly when I'm looking it up on my phone, because I don't carry the piece of paper around. Right. Um, so I'd love something that's more uh, user friendly on mobile. Gotcha. Again, it's a little stupid thing, but just mm-hmm. one of those things where I'm like, oh, I got to zoom in on this spreadsheet again, or this PDF file where it is. Right. Um, the other is, and it's not a problem for me because I was at the event and when you sign, if you pre-register when you, and you pay for comps, when you check in, they'll have your bib for you and you don't have to go to contest registration, which is great. But for people I who do. didn't do that or decide to register at the event, they have very limited contest registration hours. Um, and I just think it'd be great to have somebody at the desk a little longer on Friday night who can take registrations for Saturday. Um, that would just be, I think, a little. I hard. forget. Uh, how how long does Boogie keep their online registration open? Do they shut it off the day before the the event starts? I think it is. I want to say it's until like the week bef- the weekend before. Because here's my take. When I'm at events, I I like it that I can be in my room, go online, and register. And not have to go downstairs and wait on that line. Right. 
I feel like the registration should be open online all the time. Obviously, a cutoff before a certain competition starts, like say a competition starts, you know, at 8 p.m., the cutoff is two hours before that online. Right. Yeah, um, I like that idea. Uh, I think it would alleviate. Uh, I, I think it would alleviate uh, the big lines uh, downstairs, but also there, there, like like someone like myself. My my time is limited because I'm I'm not only a workshop instructor, I'm also a judge and I'm a competitor, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm wearing three hats that weekend. So my time is limited. But if I can go online real quick and register for a competition rather than having to wait online, I'm like, oh my god, this is fantastic. Yeah, I think that would be a good add-on for for boogie. Um, it, it might be hard because there needs to be. Uh, someone who pays attention to each competition that it has to be shut off, you know, two hours before each comp, which might be hard. Right. You don't want anybody registering like, you know, 20 minutes before the competition starts. Right. Um, But I think that would be something that would be helpful or at least allow online registration till the Friday of the event. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it'd be great. I think that's that's something that they have to work out not only with their staff but whomever they hire to run their 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 scoring. Right, that's really right. where it comes down um, to the wire. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think making it just a little easier because I mean, I was up for workshops and I got my I registered in advance, no big deal. But there are times where. Like for Strictly, you register at the last minute or some people aren't sure if they want to do Jack and Jill and then they decide last minute. And like you have to either register. I want to say the cutoff is like five or six on Friday. And if you're not there, you know, if you're a local and you're still at work, like then you have to get up the next morning. And I think it's only nine to 11. Um, Right. And you may not be competing till two. And you're like, well, I got to get up. Anyway, it's just inconvenient. Um, So I, I really like having more flexibility in how to register for competitions. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that would be a, a good add on. Um, and like I said, it would alleviate the lines and all that stuff. And although they do have, which I think is great because uh, I think it's Dan Krieger's system. They have that little tablet that while you're online, you're mm-hmm. filling the tablet out so that when you get to the, to the desk, all you're doing is paying and getting your number. Right, as opposed to standing up there and you telling them your name, your World Swing Dance Council number, giving right. them your credit card and all of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. It, it does make the time, uh, it does make it, the line go faster, I think. Yes. Agreed. And I think um, I really like the free live streaming so that we can share the event with people who aren't there. Yeah, I think that's important. I feel like that's you know, a standard now for events. Like if, a, if, a, if an event doesn't have that, we're like, really? Everybody else has it. Yeah, if Why you want to you? buy it, pay for it after. That's fine. But yeah, I think it should be free through what you know as the weekend's happening. Yeah, there are some event directors that feel if you offer <clears throat> free live streaming, like then why should I go to the event? And free live streaming makes people exposes people to the event and then yes. makes them decide, oh, maybe I should go to this event. Right. Yeah. It's not like watching it on TV is the same as being there (laughs) um and also let's face it our community has serious case of fomo 
Everybody has a fear of missing yeah. out. They all freaking want to be there. That's so true. They're missing. And next year they're going to be like, oh man, I can't believe I'm not going to miss that again. Right. Um, it's so true that like people see videos online and like, oh man, I wish I was there. That would have been amazing. We all know that this, this thing we do is so much better in person. Um, of course. There was a point over the weekend where um, I was really tired and someone's like, well, you can just watch, watch the contest from your room. And I was like, but it's not the, it's not the same. Plus no. I'm also not going to be like at the same hotel and not watch it in the ballroom. But um, yeah, it's just like being in the room. So one of the, the famous uh, dance clips in our community is RJ and Brandy at this event, right back in whatever it was, 2010 or something like that, 11. Um, and their amazing Jack and Jill dance. Right. And I watch it online and cause I still love the dance, sure. but it's, it doesn't resonate yeah. the same, but when we were in the ballroom, it was electric. Yes. Like it was just astounding. So things like that. I mean, it's great that we have live stream, but I don't think any event director should fear that people watching it online, we'll you know, it's going to substitute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not the same. Right. I think the big concern with video um, is always the vendor. The vendor is always concerned about giving away things for free. Um, right. No, I they agree wanna, with that. They want to know how they can make money off of doing what they're doing. Yeah. So it's usually a financial decision as to whether there's live streaming, as to whether there's like, you know, filming allowed in the ballroom during comps, um, those kind of things. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I do like now that events have gotten on the bandwagon where they, they allow you, you know, as a spectator to have your um, prelim dance videoed. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, not videoing the finals. uh, I think that's helpful. Right. I do think though, it's up to the events to get that media of, you know, whatever the top three dances out quickly after the event. Top five. Yeah, top five. Top ten. <laughs> Let's keep going. Top no, no, twenty. <laughs> well, I always say top five because they play till fifth. That's true. That's true. If they play till fifth. Yeah. Right. I think it's to their advantage to um, you know, one so people can share, like, oh, this is what I saw this weekend. Um right. but right. just ride that wave of energy. I think it's to their advantage to get media up quickly for the same reason that they should have live streaming. Like let's show people what they missed. Mm-hmm. And what everybody's talking about, you know, because people are going to talk about those dances. You and I just talked about them right before we started recording. You know, what do you think of these dances? And um, I think it's great to have that and share it and be like, what do you think of this? Or this is what I thought of this. Absolutely. I totally agree. What do you think about? So this is what I noticed about Boogie. Um, they, they're, they're, uh, Boogie's very supportive of... Um, Single female instructors, um, single female, obviously, uh, DJs, but I don't see a female MC. Not anymore. Right. Right. Boogie used to have Grace Kilalea, um, and she was fantastic, and it was her for years. Mm -hmm. Um, But since then, no, they haven't. And again, you know, conversation for another time about why women have 
had have risen to prominence in certain roles, but not others. Um, right. But right now, there aren't really a lot of female MCs out there. Um, mm-hmm. There are some women professionals who can MC, but that's not what they're known for. Right. So I don't know. It's um, I think Boogie and their decision making. We can ask Andy this. Um, mm-hmm. But my guess is that in their decision making, when they think high quality, they want to go with like a known quantity, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. Th- if there's an unknown quantity, like a new couple on the scene or a new single instructor on the scene, they will often give them a workshop or two to kind of test right. them out. Um, right. But I don't think for the emceeing position, they want to take that risk. I think they want to know that they have a high quality MC who's going to create the right atmosphere for their event. Right. And I, I, th- I think it's important to, to, we, we need atmosphere during couples divisions. That's when it's real important. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about like prelims, strictly swings and Jack and Jill's, uh, we have atmosphere because everyone's in the ballroom. Right. Everyone's there. Um, and, 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 you know, Jack and Jill's and Strictly Swings really shouldn't be a time where you need to entertain the audience because we have a lot of competitors. Agreed. I think, yeah, I think it's just more about, you know, being on time and clear on the microphone and, you know, um, being, being responsible, you know, being, having a good interaction between you and the head judge and the DJ so that things run smoothly. But it's really not about, you know, entertaining um, the audience. Sure. I do think that the, I agree with you, I, uh, that being a good kind of ringleader is most important. I do think it's helpful if they can create some atmosphere um, sure. in the sense that, you know, people are nervous um, or you want to infuse the room with energy. Um, and I say this because I'm thinking of a couple of MCs who I wish were not MCs who <laughs> right. just put a damper on the mood because they're not, they're not, uh, they're not creating the kind of atmosphere that you might want while you're competing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, they may be, you know, calling people out just fine, but I think having that little extra something of, you know, you're the right kind of personality or brand, you know, on brand for that event helps. Um, there's some people who I who are on the mic, and we can talk about this another time. Talking about MCs, but uh, I think it is one of our topics on our programming. Um, but yeah, there's some MCs who just shouldn't be MCs, and there are others who are great at what they do. And I think Boogie just focuses on those who are great at what they do. Sure. So I think if a if a woman has proven herself as an MC, um, and again, I don't think she has to be like knocking it out of the park for the Jack and Jills. And- I think. If you're a woman who teaches by herself and can engage a whole room of students and keep them, you know, entertained, teach them um, and be clear and concise, that's definitely someone that could possibly MC mm-hmm. a Jack and Jill or a Strictly Swing. Yeah, I agree. It's not what I Yeah, I just think uh, my guess is, and we can ask Andy this later, but my guess is that... Uh, some of it's a financial decision. And I know I was an MC at an event for a while and then it became like a financial decision of, well, do I hire Eric for an MC or do I hire like this other person who can judge MC 
teach, you know, like how you're going to divide your contracts. So I wonder that too, but it is a good question of just in general, why there aren't more female MCs out on the circuit. Yeah. And with that, I think we should cut to our interview with Andy, uh, Mr. Andy Bowman, the co-event director of Boogie by the Bay. So we have a very special guest today, Andy Bowman, who's from the Bay Area. He's a founder and a past president of the Next Generation Swing Dance Club and has been the co-event director of Boogie by the Bay since 1980, uh, 1999, rather, and he's also my boss. So welcome, Andy Bowman. <laughs> <laughs> that's an introduction <laughs> it is that's hilarious love it hello so andy i have a really big question for you it's loaded so Turf, go what, for is, it. what is your biggest challenge and your frustration every year when you're running boogie by the bay that's common my biggest challenge every year um i would say the biggest challenge is figuring it all out getting it all um, together. And that includes just trying to figure out how we're going to pay for everything, figuring out how to try to set a budget that, you know, has a price point that people can afford, but that also pays all of our bills. Um, and then lining up all the staff that we need, uh, to run a quality event and then coordinating all their schedules for workshops and judging and so forth. And then, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's just everything that goes into trying to plan the weekend and make it happen. Uh, Cause once we're actually there, you know, it's, it's like we're past that point, you know, and actually doing the event is not as hard as trying to plan it and get it all together. And what frustrates so you the most? How's that for a big answer? That's a big answer. <laughs> yes. What frustrates me the most is uh, sometimes it's very hard to get a hold of some of the pros to figure out their schedules. Mm-hmm. And there are other people like you, as you know, you, you respond to me instantly. So I never worry about you. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Well, you know, we've talked about that last week when we were talking about um, professionalism. So that is a frustration that I had run through, too, when I was running um, the event. So, so I'm curious, Andy, um, what yeah. is your I know you work with a, a committee of volunteers who put on Bay by the Bay. And I'm wondering what your approach is to doing that whole planning process, knowing that you have to work sure. with all these different people. Right. So Boogie by the Bay is a club run event as opposed to uh, an event owned by individuals. So I'm the event director, along with Beth Bellamy, who's the other event director. We're the co-directors of the event. Um, but we are elected by the next generation to that role. So they could elect somebody else uh, if they're unhappy with us. Um, it's the club that owns the event. And uh, so uh, the committee is a, it's basically a group of, of volunteers. Everybody who does this um, is a club member who just wants to be involved with helping to plan the convention. Some This year we had 20 people on the committee, which is a gigantic committee when you yeah. think about it. Uh, some of those people have major roles. Some of those people have less major roles. Um, and so that's how we distribute, you know, the work for what actually happens. But all the major decisions are made by the vote of the entire committee. So, um, for example, when we're going to decide which instructors we want to hire for the year, that's done by committee vote. So I may have the people that I want to hire, and I will, of course, you know, recommend people that I'd like to have come. But um, everybody else will say who they'd like to have come, and they will vote. And those are the people we hire. Um, and same thing with 
major change to the schedule. Like, do we want to have um, a dinner on Saturday night or do we want to have um, this new competition, you know, or do we want to have more workshops or less workshops? What time should the workshops start? All those kind of big decisions that we have to make um, are made by the committee. Um, and the really good thing about that is we have people who are at all different levels. We have some people who are pretty new to dancing. Some people have been around a really long time. We have some people who are you know, novice competitors. Some people who are all-star competitors. We have some people who don't compete at all. All they care about is social dancing or workshops. Mm-hmm. So we really have a whole variety of, of perspectives and voices. And I think that's kind of the strength of doing it that way is because we really have to plan an event that everyone on the committee would want to go to. <laughs> Um, and I think some events I'm aware of, you know, it really depends on sort of what the perspective of the event director is. Um, so if the event director is a competitor, they'll plan an event schedule that makes sense for competitors, but maybe not necessarily for pros or for, for attendees. And if they're a pro, they may make a schedule that makes sense for pros, but not necessarily for competitors, you know? I mean, so what I like about what we do is we really have to think about everybody in order to put the event together. The challenge Absolutely. of that, of course, is that sometimes... The committee will make you know votes that I don't necessarily disagree with, but I have to still implement them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, then I have a question. Then so, what if yeah. what if the committee yeah. makes it, makes a decision, and because you're so experienced at running the event, like I said, since 1999, so you've seen everything for yeah. a long time, and the committee makes yeah. a decision, and you feel that it's not a decision that's good for the event. How do you go about making them see it your way? <laughs> um, sometimes I can't. I mean, sometimes I can't. Honestly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a difference of opinion. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I will give my perspective when we're considering these things. So I hope that would be part of the decision when we make it. Um, but um, you know, my philosophy also is that I always have things to learn from other people. I mean, and so sometimes my perspective is not necessarily the right one, or sometimes something that made sense because we did it that way five years ago does not make sense now because the world has changed, you know, the dance world. So I really try to be open to that and really try to, you know, listen to when people say, you know what, this doesn't work anymore, or you know what, those reasons don't make sense anymore. Um, Because otherwise I'm just kind of, you know, the obstruction to (laughs) making changes that need to be changed to keep us current. but yeah, there are there are there are some times when we have decisions, and I I worry about what the consequences of doing it will be. Um, and if we ever you know reached a point where we made a decision where I just absolutely felt was not you know something that I could support, then I would have to step down and let somebody else you know do it. Well, so far we haven't reached that point because you've been doing this since right. 1999, right? Yes, of course. So far, so good. <laughs> so, far, um, so yes i was gonna say not kind of i mean really there there's a wisdom to like i said there's a wisdom to having a whole group of people sit and hash the stuff out and sometimes it takes us a long time to reach a decision and i usually feel good about the decisions we make after we've had that hashing out process right i'm wondering since you have been running this event for so long and you mentioned you know things kind of have to evolve um, Deborah and I were talking earlier about how this event has consistently maintained a high quality level across the board on all aspects of the event. Um, and at the same time, while staying true to your brand, the event has still remained a strong event, like very well attended over the years. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that, you know, how you think about staying relevant and, um, 
being a place that people want to go to, um, and also staying true to who you are as an event? Yeah, well, that's a it's a really challenging question. You know, I mean, it's something that we are always debating every year, um, and it will start you know a couple of weeks when we do our debrief meeting for this year. And the first thing that we always do every year is just you know spend a couple hours just going through what worked, what didn't work, you know, ideas that we have for improving it. Because as the event's happening, as as it's unfolding every year, I'm mentally making notes of you know thirty or forty things that. I'm like, oh, we could fix that or we could change that or that would be a little bit better if we do this. So there's a lot of tweaks that are in my head. And I know that all the other committee members have, you know, similar notes in their head. So the debrief meeting is a great, you know, kind of starting point to kind of think about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that we all have a commitment to wanting to put on the highest quality event that we can. And that partly comes from being a nonprofit. You know, we're not in this to make money. We're in this to put on a good event. Um, And that's one of the advantages of being a nonprofit is that, you know, as long as we don't lose a pile of money, which is never a good thing, uh, you know, it's not about making money um, for ourselves or for the club. It's about putting on the best event that we can. Um, And I, I mean, I have some philosophies about that. I think that one thing is you try to make sure that, you know, everybody has a really good time. Like I said, think about, you know, run the schedule from the perspective of different types of attendees. Does this make sense for, people who only come for this or people who want to do different things. Um, and then also, I also believe very strongly that you try as, as much as possible to treat everyone, attendees, pros, um, you know, competitors, judges, um, with respect. And, you know, that, that word of mouth is always your best marketing. So you want people to go home and tell all their friends, wow, that was a great event. You should go to this event. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're always trying to make sure that everybody has a really good experience. And I, I know that so we, that's, there's nothing really unique about that, but it's like, that's, you know, we're always asking ourselves that question. Is this good for everybody who's coming to the event? So what's some advice that you could, cause I know you and I had spoke about this at the event this weekend, basically, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledging that uh, the Bay area and just California in general kind of have a mutual respect between club you know, event run events, as well as, you know, single entity run events. And you guys really have a mutual respect for one another. And I've noticed that there's a lot of areas in say other states where there are some events that are run by clubs and others that are run by by single entity or two entity, you know, partners that are for profit. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for them to, you know, coexist together in in the market. And you guys do a really good job of doing that. So what's some advice that you could give event directors and club owned events on how to be respectful of each other and what the common goal Mm -hmm. is? Yeah, I I think that's a great question. And I think for us, it starts not just with the event, but how we all try to live together just in the Bay Area. You know, San Francisco Bay Area has one of the largest West Coast Swing communities, I think, you know, just local communities of anywhere. Um, and it's partly due to just we have some fantastic local instructors and um, people who run local dances. People like Eric, um, you know, who runs a great dance at Mission City that's bringing in a ton of new people in the San Francisco city proper. Um, and, you know, Yenny with her, her dance to BNY and... Um, Two Left Feet in the East Bay uh, that Randy and Stephanie have been running for ages. And then down on the peninsula, Michelle Kincaid has run a dance for many years that she took over from 
Ed Tryon, Phil Serio, and then down in South Bay, we have um, you know New Dance and Michelle Crozier's running. So those are just some examples. And then there's other clubs nearby, you know, like Sacramento and Santa Cruz and Redwood Empire, um, that are also a little bit farther driving distance, but also considered part of like the larger Northern California scene. And we all know each other, and we all try very hard um, to you know not step on each other's toes to schedule our local events and special events by consulting each other. And it doesn't always work out. Sometimes it's unavoidable that you have conflicts in the calendar, but at least it's done with a an attitude of respect um, because we all sort of share the philosophy that, you know, everybody who's bringing new people in benefits the entire community. So, you know, if we start competing with each other and stealing from each other, um, then we're not growing the community. We're just, you know, kind of fighting for limited resources. So it's a better philosophy for us all to kind of encourage each other to grow events and encourage people to cross-pollinate. Um, so I think that extends then to how we treat other events, you know, in, in the California space, which is the same kind of thing. We try to, you know, not step on each other's toes and support each other. So I go to as many of the California events as I can. I pretty much try to hit, you know, all of them if, if I can right. make, make it work out. And I think that other people do too. And we just try to support each other. So I, I think that's the, the main thing is just if your philosophy is there's a limited pie and I've got to get, you know, the biggest piece of that pie that I can, then you're not really benefiting everybody. But if, if your philosophy is, you know, if we all work together, we can have more pie. <laughs> right. You know, right. it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a different attitude and it's going to, and everybody's going to benefit it. And I get that comment from people all the time who come visiting from elsewhere that they say we have one of the friendliest, nicest communities. And, you know, like before Boogie by the Bay, there was a whole bunch of dances at different places. And people who came to visit, we said, hey, are you going to this dance? Are you going to this dance? And are you going to this dance? We tried to send them to all the different places, you know, rather than trying to grab a piece of pie for any one dance. Right. I think that's one of the things that makes us like coming to California to events, whether they're club run or not, because that we feel that there are no conflicts between any of you. And when we go to other events, we can feel it. So sometimes it's a choice for us not to go because it, I, I always have, I have a saying that events reflect the event director's personalities. So Eric and I were talking earlier how, you know, Boogie by the Bay is really classy, but it also has like a, a very comfortable, like chill kind of feel. And I mm -hmm. think part of that is because you and Beth are like that. Right. We're, we're not about like promoting ourselves. I mean, that, that's part of it. I think, you know, it's like, I, I'm not about, you know, I'm not doing this because I want to make a name for myself. You know, I really don't care about that at all. And I don't think about those either. We just really care about um, having, you know, community and we see the dance world as our family, you know, it's like our extended family. So, you know, for me, it's like, I'm just throwing a big party, you know, it's like a reunion party, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right. And um, that's one of the, and that's one of the things I love about the weekend so much is like people will pop up that like I haven't seen in ages and I'm like hey you're here you know this is so cool right there was somebody at, at Boogie this year um, who used to live in the Bay Area she's now moved to Brazil you know and came it's the first time I've seen her in 13 years and she was at Boogie this year and I was like this is so cool you know I haven't seen mm -hmm. you in ages and here you are you know I, I just love moments like that on that note I'm wondering. You know, as other events have popped up over the years, and Deborah and I were talking about how a lot of events try to carve out a, a niche for themselves, usually mm -hmm. around some sort of theme or, you know, some sort of particular angle on their event. Um, 
but Boogie has made the decision not really to go down that path. And I'm curious what that decision was and how you have sort of just maintained, uh, held steady as all these other kind of theme-oriented events have arisen. Well, that's a really good question because, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to establish a new name for yourself, you need to have some kind of an angle because right now the market is so saturated with events, I think, as we're all aware, you know, it's just there's like so many events out there now, which was not true when I started out doing this. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, there were what, like maybe what, 10 events, you know, in, in the year and, and we all went to all of them because there weren't that many, you know, so that was just the way it was, you know, but now I, I think the last count I heard from World Swing Dance Council is over a hundred events, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and I don't know what, what it's like worldwide. I think it's just in the U.S., you know, so, you know, it's just ridiculous amount of events. Um, so when somebody's starting something new, they obviously want to have some kind of way to distinguish themselves. And sometimes that's great. It gives you a unique identity, but sometimes it's also, it makes it very, um, difficult, you know, if fads change and your, you know, your theme is no longer a hot fad. I think that some events have gone through that were like, it's really cool for a few years. And then people are like, eh, they've moved on to the next fad. Um, and, and so I think our decision not to do that so much was, was based on, you know, we, we don't really want people to come because we're doing some kind of a theme or a fad. We want them to come because we're putting on a, just a really high quality event. And you know, what you're getting with us is, you know, good value for your money and a great weekend. And we're going to try to be first class in everything that we do. Yeah. And you and, are. Yes. I was just going to say, you also have, and maybe that's why we're still here when some of these other events have come and gone, you know? Right. Well, you also have, uh, one of the best, if not the best lineup of pros. <laughs> and I say that meaning that you have a, a really big number of top level champions on staff every year. And, of course, I can imagine that that is also uh, a cost issue, right? I mean, you have all of mm-hmm. those pros, mm-hmm. it's a big investment. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly expensive. <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, do you just take the risk that you're going to get the same kind of turnout? Like, how do you make decisions about about having all of those pros on staff? Is it just, well, we know it's going to be a right. draw, and so it's worth it to make the investment, and we're going to hope that people are co- going to come out? Like, how do you make those choices? That's a that's a, a great question. And I think it's something that all event directors, um, whether they're doing it for profit or they are nonprofit um, or club-based, um, I think everybody struggles with that issue. I think that, you know, trying to budget an event is, is probably like one of the biggest headaches. And part of that is because, um, you know, you, you have fixed costs. Like if we hire a certain number of people for our staff and we want to rent a dance floor and we want to rent sound equipment and we want to, you know, make a deal with a hotel and so forth, we have a whole bunch of fixed costs, you know, that we have to spend, we have to spend that money, you know, regardless if we take in enough money to pay for it all. So there's always a risk that, you know, if we, uh, you know, uh, over, over plan on the expense side that we are not going to bring in the income to pay for it. In our case, we are a little bit insulated from the immediate consequences of that, again, as a nonprofit, because we have a substantial savings and a board of directors that understands, because I have to go through this conversation with them every year when we, when we talk about the budget and they approve the budget, mm-hmm. that you know these are our best numbers based on last year or based on the last few years and the trends, but it's just a guess. You know, We really don't know how many people are going to come. Um, 
And again, that's where we really rely on, you know, word of mouth and people from last year saying that was a great event. You know, you should go to it again and wanting to come back or telling their friends to come Um, because if they don't do that, if they don't have a good experience, you know, our numbers could drop precipitously the next year and then we'd be in big trouble. Um, So, so budgeting is really, is really a challenge, but I think our philosophy about the pros again is that, you know, we want. Uh, because our, we're an educational nonprofit, that's our mission. Our mission is education. We want the best people that we can get at our to be teaching those workshops and to be dancing on a weekend and to be teaching privates available for private lessons for people and you know just at the event because it creates the best learning environment and the best synergy for people. And so yeah, we really go out of our way, you know, to try to hire you know all the top people in the world that we can that we can possibly afford to come to our event. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's partly based on who the committee members vote as the people they want to, to, to come the most. But, you know, there's there's a lot of people that, you know, would be you'd expect to get those votes. You know, I mean, they're the usual suspects. And then every year we have a few people who are, um, you know, kind of establishing themselves or newer on the scene who also get voted in because people have seen them at other events and and say, hey, you know, these people are really good teachers or they're really great dancers. We'd like to see them at our event. You know, so. Uh, so that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, our, our staff budget always gives me a heart attack every year and it gives the board a heart attack every year when they see how much money we have to spend on this. Um, you know, but again, um, you know, the idea is to, to have, have the best, you know, group of people that we can possibly afford. And we're also fortunate in that so far we've managed to scare away most other promoters from trying to schedule an event on the same weekend as us. So, I mean, I know there's some events where like there's three or four, you know, major events the same weekend and they're all competing for the same pool of pros. Right. Um, and we're fortunate that there is not another major event on our weekend. So that helps too. Sure. Well, I think we you have- also make it so that professionals want to work for you. That's right. Important. And again, that's, that's, that's the whole philosophy of like, you try to treat people well so that they want right. to work for you and they want to come back. Right. I mean, so like, you know, pros never have to worry about like, are we actually going to pay them or are we going to pay what we agreed to pay them or are the checks going to bounce? Right. You know, we, <laughs> we have a really good business model and we have a professional accountant, you know, to make sure that we do stuff correctly. So, you know, um, there are other events that are, uh, you know, by reputation, <laughs> not so good at that kind of stuff. Right. Correct. Well, we had talked earlier too about um, feedback, and you had mentioned that you do a debriefing with the committee. We also know that you do mm-hmm. a survey every year, and I'm wondering Correct. how we, the... we work with uh, Warren Pino's company on, on the survey. Um, you know, they're a professional research company, and we send that out to everybody. You know, afterwards, and he collects data. And the great thing about that is he's collected data now for quite a number of years. I think like seven or eight years now. I want to say we've been doing this, so we can also look at trends over time. You know, with mm-hmm. that data, which is very, very helpful for us in trying to figure out what worked and didn't work. How do you use that feedback in your in shaping the next year's event? Um, it's very important. I mean, we look at you know all the responses. We look at trends. Um, there's usually spaces for comments, and you know, hard as it is, we read every single comment. Um, I also have one person on my committee who's very, very good at sort of compiling that stuff. And so she goes through all the comments and kind of organizes them, you know, by area or by ideas that we might want to think about. And then that's part of one of our early planning meetings. Like, here are all the ideas that were in the comments. What do we think? Do we want to try some of these? Are some of these not realistic? 
you know, what do we do? And then there's ones that make us laugh every year, like the comment that says, you know, get the hotel and install more elevators. There's always, you know, <laughs> comments like that. It's like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen next year. You know, I mean, the upgrade of something. elevators a few years ago wasn't you? No, that was not us. <laughs> <laughs> they did upgrade the elevators a few years ago. <laughs> they did upgrade it, but they didn't install more. They just, they no, just made the true. ones they had fast. Yes. So, Have you gotten a comment to bring Knuckles back? Yeah, right. No, that one, I, I, I have not heard that one, but that would make me laugh too. Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you think uh, Boogie went this year? I thought that it went very well. I was so pleased with everything. Um, I mean, I thought that the social dancing all four nights um, was fantastic. I mean, you know, we have a great DJ staff. I love them all. Um, we tried something new this year, which was to have Charlotte Bot do um, Blues Room late night for two nights. And um, people love that. But I also, I mean, every time I went back and forth, I mean, I went to the main ballroom and like, you know, John and Ru- Ruby, John Lindo and Ruby um, do this, this you know, kind of DJ battle thing, you know, every year that uh, people just absolutely love and say it's some of the best social dance music that they they get on a Saturday night because those two guys are great DJs and then they kind of feed off of each other of like, Oh, you think that's a great song? Watch this great song. And I'm going right. to, you know, counter you. Right. Um, so, I mean, for me, I was, I, I was just torn because I'm like, I love the music in both rooms and both rooms are having fantastic social dancing. So you can't get much better than that. So in terms of that aspect, I thought it was great. Um, the competitions went very smoothly. We try very hard to, figure out how to have a realistic schedule. So, you know, we're generally pretty much on time with, it, with that. And this year I felt like we finished everything on time. Um, so, you know, schedule wise, I was very happy with that. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time to actually see what people are teaching the workshops, but I do try to look in on them all. And like most of the workshops, I went down from room to room to room and every room was full of people. So, mm-hmm. you know, well looks like people were having, having, yeah, well attended and finding, finding something that, you know, met, met what they wanted. So in terms of all those aspects, I was very, very pleased. We did have a couple challenges this year. Um, I think um, the one that I was, I have never seen before. This one I've never seen before <laughs> in all the years I've been doing this. But um, the men's room that was closest to the ballroom had a major plumbing malfunction and they had poop backing, backing up in all the stalls. Uh, so oh, that no. bathroom was closed most of Saturday and Sunday, and that yeah. has never happened before. Wow. Uh, yeah, so all the men were scrambling, running to <laughs> other, you know, whenever there's a, a break, they're scrambling trying to find other restrooms in the rest of the hotel that they could use, which is pretty hilarious. All the women were laughing and saying, now you know what our life is usually like. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Payback. <laughs> so, but that that is that was unique. That has never happened before. And it took them a day and a half, you know, because it was a weekend, it took them a day and a half to figure out the problem and fix it. So that was a challenge. <laughs> Yeah. Well, isn't it also too like the during the weekend of Boogie, even though there, there's a there's at least what between a thousand and fifteen hundred of us for the event, there's also other events going on that weekend in the hotel. Usually, never there's never another major event in the hotel on the weekend. There's other smaller stuff like there might be a right. wedding. Like we can never get that um, the pool pavilion um, room that um, has been used for some of our other events because there's almost always a wedding scheduled over weekend, so the hotel just won't give it to us. Yeah. So, but it's there's never any other major events. We have we have all the major event space reserved, but there might be other smaller stuff going. On. And then they also reserve some of the rooms for like airline crews and stuff. So, 
you know, sometimes we run out when we run out of space in our block, we can't get them to give us more because they've got other people who have already reserved it for other stuff. So that's always a challenge too. Since you mentioned competitions, um, mm-hmm. and Deborah and I are remarking how great it is that they're on time, but there's also other things that you do or don't do that is different from other events. For instance, you don't do mm-hmm. the marshalling. You don't wait for right. latecomers. You know, I'm wondering what you're, right. is that, is that the committee deciding that? How much of that is Kelly? And mm-hmm. what's your thinking about how you do competitions versus how other events might do them? Okay, sure. Those are great questions. Um, in terms of the, the uh, like what you're talking about with Jack and Jill's, uh, there are some ideas that other events have tried. One is, the, you know, the staging people in advance uh, kind of thing. And I've seen different ways that people do it. And another recent trend at some events has been the run two competitions simultaneously, you know, uh, kind of mm-hmm. thing. So we've obviously talked about both those options and we rejected them. And that's not just, uh, uh, you know, a decision that I or Kelly would make. This is a decision the whole committee has made. And we have various reasons for, for why we do the way, things we do. Uh, as far as the staging thing goes, our experience has been that what that does is it, it leaves people cold because the staging can take anywhere from you know 10 minutes to 30 minutes before the competition. And so all the competitors are standing around or sitting around you know, waiting to go onto the floor instead of being able to social dance right up to the competition. Mm-hmm. Right. So our philosophy about that has been it's better to let everybody dance until the competition starts because then they can do whatever they need to do. So if they want to warm up by dancing, they can do that. If they want to warm up by stretching over in the corner, they can do that, you know, but, or if they need to use the restroom real quickly, you know, before the competition, they can do that. But basically let people do whatever they need to do until the competition actually starts. Mm -hmm. And then we try to stage them as quickly as we can right there on the floor. And that, you know, involves being really organized and, you know, having very experienced people who can marshal people, but we really have, uh, you know, I've timed it at our event versus other events, and really we can accomplish the same thing in the same amount of time as the other events who try those other things right. because we just, you know, run it very quickly. And our schedule is also, um, you know, built based on, you know, timing, how long it's taken us to do these things in the past. So we allow enough time for it to happen, you know, and that's why we very rarely get very far off schedule. I mean, you'd be amazed how many people write a schedule without actually timing how long everything takes yeah, <laughs> and right. so I, I will look at some of events schedules and i'll say well that's impossible you know right. i can look at the schedule right now and tell you they're going to be you know an hour late because they didn't allow enough time for something that you know how long it's going to take you know so so that's what i'm thinking about that in terms of um um the you know the routines again you know we have a pretty good idea of how many routines we're expecting for each uh, routine division and so we schedule based on that, but also we don't schedule anything else on Saturday night. So we mm-hmm. learn from experience. Don't over schedule like a champions Jack and Joel or something like that after the, after the routine competitions. Because basically, once the routines are done, people just want to chill and they want time to you know change out of their clothes and, and do stuff. And if you run another competition or two, you know after your classic and showcase, then it just makes everybody crabby, right? So again, the way that we've kind of broken up our competitions by having all the strictlies on Friday. Um, you know, Strictly's are easier to manage than Jack and Jill's because everybody's got their own partner already. So it's easier to, you know, ad- do last minute ads or scratches if people's travel plans change. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack and Jill's are more complicated. So we do those on, you know, Saturday and then we do all the routines on Saturday, uh, on Saturday night for the best show. And then we do our Jack and Jill's finals on Sunday because 
um, you know, and then we've had time to check all the results and, and post them and people can prepare. But isn't also keeping Jack and Jill, because I know that like, at my event, keeping yeah. Jack and Jill on Sunday, um, it makes people stay because people want to compete. Well, there them. is that too. I mean, that's a good point, but that's not the main reason why we do it. The main reason why we do it the way that we do it is because we have a philosophy that we've adopted um, years ago that we try to stick to of giving every Jack and Jill division a spotlight. Right. And so in order to do that, you really need to allow enough time for it. So, so putting them all on Sunday means that, you know, we we're done with everything else and we can spotlight everybody. And right. for me, I personally feel that's important because people care about their world swing dance council points. They don't care about it so much for strictly swings because you're not getting any points for it. So strictly swings are more for fun. So if we, if we do some of the lower divisions as groupie finals, it's not such a big deal. But with the Jack and Jills, people really care about how they place. And if you do them as spotlights, every couple gets a really good look from the judges, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I like that. And I, I think that, you know, I, when I look at the scoring results, I mean, the, 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 the scores are much more consistent, especially for the lower divisions where the judges might not know everybody if you do spotlight finals. So people That's sometimes right. complain about that and say, yeah, you know, why do you spotlight everything? You know, blah. and it's because we're, we're doing that for the competitors. They, they all get a good look and, you know, the scores at the end of each division are really good, you know, and then the points go to the right people. Right. Um, and I also find that like Sunday people don't care so much about the social dancing. They're all tired anyway. So if you only have like a few song breaks between each of those finals, people are not as crabby about it as they would be earlier on the weekend. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah. So again, that's the main philosophy. So it's not so much trying to force people to stay over. I mean, we're hoping they're going to stay anyway because they're going to stay up, you know, till six or seven in the morning social dancing on Saturday night. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's, that's, right. that's the thing. Yeah. Um, Boogie was okay. fantastic this year and yeah, yeah. congratulations so to much. you and Beth and the committee on yet another fantastic event. Mm -hmm. It was, it was awesome. It was a huge crowd, great energy. And again, highest quality of pros, DJs, competitions, everything. It's just so smooth. It's so easy to go and have a good time there. You're easy to Thank work so for much. too. That's, yeah. that's something that's... Oh, well, thanks. You know, there's there's a couple of event directors that are really easy to work for, um, and you're one of them. So thanks for making well, thank a great working much. environment for all of us. It's it's much appreciated. And I would add, you know, that I'm always open to hearing feedback and suggestions. And you know, if if people don't like something or they've got an idea for something, you know, I will certainly listen. Sure. We'll talk about it. I'll bring it to the committee if appropriate. See what they think. You know, I'm. I mean, we're very open to that. We always we always can improve. Absolutely. That's why you guys are so successful. Everyone should look out for the Boogie by the Bay um, feedback survey, which should be posted online soon and provide their feedback so that Andy and the committee have some material to work with. They want to hear from you. You can also find Boogie by the Bay at their website, boogiebythebay.com. And you can find Andy Bowman on Facebook. You can reach out to him there. You can find Deborah and me online at thenakedtruthwcs.com. We also want to hear from you. We loved getting your comments, your messages. We really appreciate the likes, the shares. So keep that coming. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter at, at NakedTruthWCS, and on Instagram at TheNakedTruthWCS. You can like us, follow us, share us, and you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. 
And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook and go ahead and rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the naked truth. Of course, that you didn't have to deal with the men's room, so, you know, <laughs> that's well, that's true. God. I know. Kim, Kim, I asked Kim, like, how was the weekend? And she was like, well, you know, generally went well. And then there were a couple of issues. And I was like, what were one of the issues? She was like, well, you know, same shit, different days. She's like, literally, it was this in the bathroom. I know. We were, we were making all the shit jokes, you know, like shit happens. <laughs> and, you know, the bathroom is literally full of shit. Yeah. Yep. Like we just couldn't help ourselves. We were just kind of, you know, when we were tired and and <laughs> kind of punchy on uh, you know, Sunday, we were making a lot of jokes like that. We just couldn't help it. It's the only time the only I've seen that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs>